taking the time to talk with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And I love that you're wearing your costume and didn't just like post a photo of yourself as Spider-Man because I feel like that's real commitment. No, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, well, just to kind of give you an idea. It's not every day I get to speak with a superhero. So imagine my delight when UNT's current Spider-Man, yes, the undergrad is the second incarnation of Spidey to grace our campus, agreed to take a little time out of his day to log into Zoom and spin some yarns about his everyday heroism. And if this is a superhero tale, there's really only one place to start, his origin story. Well, um, okay, so when I was a senior in high school um, and I had just gotten my acceptance letter for UNT, I was like super excited and I was looking up stuff about it like on Twitter and Reddit. Um, and I saw that we actually had a Spider-Man and me as like a cosplayer kind of nerdy kid, I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And then I found out that he was graduating the year that I was coming in. So I was like, wait, it can't die there like somebody has to like keep it going and so um that week i literally made because i have two suits i made a handmade spider-man suit from the movie the like homemade suit that he has i made it did a photo shoot in it with some friends and then showed up on campus around halloween and people were like oh my god there's another one people have all kinds of different reactions to his alter ego he says some good some not so much but he's here for it all, even the haters. It is, after all, his job as a hero to make the world just a little bit brighter. I would always ride the campus buses in the suit, and the bus drivers loved it. They they really did. Like, I would always get fist bumps. You know, people would say, hey, you doing, Spidey? You know, don't crash the bus. You know, they, they, they gave a lot of positive reactions. But, you know, there were, uh, there were other people who, like, looked at the suit and then just like made a face and would like take pictures and just be kind of rude about it. I didn't really care because like, obviously they don't know who I am for real. So, you know, I, I liked having the mask to just, you know, have fun with it. And, and other people who really liked it, sometimes they'd take a picture and just be like, you made my day. And that's like, to me, really what it's all about, about just, you know, being that we're college students and super stressed to just have one moment of the day where I can be like, oh my god, that's Spider-Man, and take a picture, like, that's, that's really what it's about, just making the day a little easier. Spider-Man might be the most recognizable hero to trek around UNT. Without a snazzy costume, most of us wouldn't earn a second glance, forget a selfie. But if there's one thing that's true about the Mean Green community, it's this. We are flush with students, staff, faculty, and alumni who consistently make an effort to improve the world around them, costume or no. The best part of my job is a writer for the North Texan Alumni Magazine, and it's safe to say that of nearly everyone in our division of university brand strategy and communications, is the opportunity to talk with so many of these incredible people. They come from every walk of life, but they have one thing in common. They frequently step into the role of hero in their own communities and beyond. That's why, to close out an exceedingly difficult year, I wanted to highlight those in our community, from everyday heroes to real deal lifesavers, who invariably show us the path to a better future. On this episode of UNT Pod, join me, Erin Cristalis, and a few of my colleagues as we discuss the Eagles, past and present, who assume the mantle of hero each and every day. 
Thanks for taking the time to talk with me about heroes. This is Scott Brown, a senior communications strategist for web content and an occasional host of UNT Pod. And um, I wanted to start out by asking, what does the word hero mean to you? Oh, man, that's that's a deep one. Um, I think it can mean a lot of different things, uh, but really it's just about you know, kind of putting others first, uh, or just kind of working in service of others or in service of some kind of greater good, I guess. Scott has a few UNT heroes in his own family, a sister who's a former teacher and now a librarian, and another who's a counselor. But today, Scott wants to talk about the heroism of one of his old UNT buddies, Travis Monk, who graduated with a criminal justice degree in 2012. He started out in the Collin County Sheriff's Office working in the county jail and in 2015 moved to the patrol division as a deputy sheriff. But yeah, Travis, I, I uh, obviously ended up connected with him on Facebook uh, and just seeing some of the stuff he, he gets to do uh, as an officer. The Sheriff's Office provides uh, police uh, response to unincorporated parts of, of the county. That's every county in Texas. So where there's not a police department it falls on the sheriff's office. So the rural areas, the, the country areas, you know, in Collin County is about 800 square miles of the whole county, but we we patrol about four to 500 square miles of area. So anywhere there's police needs, whether it's, you know, major accidents, you know, any type of police call, a, a domestic disturbance, any kind of emergency, that, that's what we do is we, we, we investigate, you know, crimes. We do all sorts of things related to police work. And I saw the, the um, award he got a life-saving award for you know saving these people who uh, had an incident on their boat i hate to brag it is kind of a rock star superhero story he's not exaggerating here's what happened back in april of this year there was not one but two boating accidents that occurred in the same afternoon on lake levon i'm on our um our dive team our search and rescue recovery uh dive team so i, I respond to boating accidents drownings things like that all the time and in five years, I've never seen two boating accidents come out at the same time within a minute. The first accident was minor. A boat capsized in shallow water and the fisherman inside was not in active danger. Um, the second one came out was on the opposite end of the lake, you know, 20 miles away, directly in the middle of the lake. And, it, and there's a person on the phone saying their boat's taking on water. He said there's five adults and one female child on board and they only have one life vest and they're taking on water. Um, on this day in particular, it was 20 mile an hour winds. It was a terrible day to be on the water for anyone. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's it's extremely dangerous. And I think they got bored of being at home. So they got on this little fishing boat and went out to go fishing on the lake. With the way the swells were hitting it, it, it once it leans a certain way, it'll take on water and then it'll take on more water and it'll take on even more water. And before you know it, within a minute, your boat will be underwater and you're, you're in it with it. Even though the caller's cell phone was pinging, locating bodies that are mostly obscured by water is like finding a needle in a haystack, Travis says. There happened to be a, a lake park that I 
that I responded to where that was the closest area where we know this pings at. And um, when I got out, uh, there was another officer from another department that backed me up. And uh, we just started looking the area from the shore, which we don't know how far out really. We just kind of have a general idea. So I, I just happened to get, my birthday was a week prior. My wife bought me some brand new binoculars from really expensive binoculars. And I happened to say, hey, this is a good time to use these. You know, what better time? And time was ticking. The water was cold, the swells were high, the family, he's been told, can't swim. I just so happened to spot several heads in the water. And you can tell they were in a frantic. You can tell their hands are in the air, they're, they're treading water. And it, I'm like, oh my, oh my God, there they are. Now what do we do, he wondered. And then the stars aligned. Travis and his fellow officer saw a boat by the shore that, once the owner permitted, allowed them to quickly get to the site of the accident. And I mean, it was like a scene out of a movie. We commandeered this guy's boat and just drove out to the last place we knew where they were at. Along the way, you know, we're, we're dodging trees because this is kind of a rough area of the lake. Once there, they see one man with a phone in his hand, two holding on to life vests, and another holding on to his 14-year-old daughter. And I remember one of the adults saying, here, take her, she can't swim. And really lunges her towards our boat, and we're still three or four feet away. And like I said earlier, the, the lake is super muddy, super cloudy. You can't see a thing past five feet. When, whenever we dive for drownings or anything else we do in the water, I mean, after five feet, you can't even see your hand. It's total black water conditions. It, it's your best to just close your eyes because you can't see anything. So in my mind, I'm thinking, why do you do that? As soon as she goes under, I'm not going to be able to find her. And I, all I remember vividly was just her, the water. I've never seen her fingertips sticking out. I'm thinking is if we lose her, if she can't swim, she takes a gob of water, she's going to sink like a rock. So Travis removed his belt and holster, then dove into the water in full uniform. And luckily, I pretty much just where I dove was where she was. And I bear hugged her, brought her up to the surface. She was coughing, breathing, and was able to bring her over to the boat, get her on. And the rest of the, the adults, they, they really can't swim either. They're, they're, they've been there for about 20 minutes. They're, they're shivering or kind of locked up. Uh, and I'm having to go back and forth and convince each one, like, it's okay, let's go, let's go, we're okay. We can we can do this, you know? Um, and there in particular, there was one that wouldn't let go of the boat. He was super scared, super frantic. He can't swim, he thinks he's gonna die. Travis was able to convince the man to let him guide him to the safety of the boat. And he wasn't the only one to receive an award for his selflessness. The owner of the boat Travis and his partner commandeered, along with his five-year-old son, were also commended for their generosity. We, we gave him an award too for being so gracious, for being there in the right time and letting us use his boat. And we, we brought the dad and the son in as a ceremony too, to have a, have a you know, we can all share this moment together. And that we, you know, it, it, like I said, it was just all the stars aligned and six people were saved just because we, we were all in the right place at the right time. It's part of the job to save lives, Travis says, and good deeds aren't always thrust into the spotlight. But helping people, he says, and being reminded of the difference he can make is what makes the job so satisfying. There's a lot that goes on that agencies just don't share because it just they just don't. You know, they got a lot. There's other things that we have going on. They just if they shared every single thing, it'd become boring, dull, and numb. So they, they like to share the really great things. But Mine was, yes, it was really great. But there's a lot of other great things that I, my fellow coworkers, everyone around this country is doing every single day that doesn't get the spotlight.
you know, I've, there's so, I've, on Thanksgiving day, I got an email from a lady who we pulled out of a very violent domestic situation with her two, with her three children, her newborn. And um, she emailed me just to thank me on Thanksgiving because her whole life has changed now because of what I told her, the response that we did and the impact I had on her. So we leave a long lasting impact on a lot of people, good and bad, but I'm telling you for the most part, it is all really, really good stuff that's going on out there. I think what the word hero means to me, it could be a variety of different things that they do, whether they're helping people in the community or um, even if it's, you know, as drastic as saving lives or as important as saving lives. That's Melissa Brown, whose voice you may recognize from a couple of previous stints hosting UNT Pod. Melissa is a senior communications specialist for social media and graduated this May with her master's in communication studies. She is a cheerleader for the program and all it offers, including the outreach initiative spearheaded by former chair Brian Richardson. So he has been involved in several different programs that are there to kind of shepherd people through the process of making connections so that they can have, you know, the career of their dreams or at least one of their choice. It's, you know, it's easy for me to put myself in the student's shoes because I was in the exact same position as them. And I remember graduating and just being so uh, confused and in, in some ways unprepared and having those feelings of anxiety and certainty about what am I going to do now. Because communication studies is so wide and varied, sometimes it's hard to kind of pinpoint um, where you want to go once you finish your degree. I read a study that found that um, uh, I believe it was minority students in particular um, uh, face a disadvantage when they graduate because uh, professional networks can be smaller um, because of historical issues, uh, historical problems, uh, historical discrimination. And so I was just putting my life experience together with that research and thinking, well, how can I make a difference and how can I help uh, our students. Basically, he um, has done that with three, there's three different programs that he has worked on. One is called Calm Future Pros. It really kind of accomplishes several goals. One, it gets the alumni back involved in the department in a way that I think that a lot of alumni want to, to participate because it gives them a chance to directly help students rather than simply maybe just writing a check or something. They can really have more of a tangible impact. And then it would help the students because they, it, all of a sudden their network goes, you know, from whatever size to much bigger because they don't just meet the mentor, but in effect, the mentor's entire network becomes, you know, accessible to, to them through this one connection. I just thought that it was super great that he is able to kind of use his connections that he has to continue these conversations with these folks so that they can gain that exposure. And a lot of people have done um, internships that he's connected folks with and then have gone on to work for them or to work in that field, you know. 
and then they pay it forward and come back and talk to another group of people. I just uh, hope that through the programs that our department is doing, including the ones that I'm involved in, we're, we're, re we're making students feel more confident and comfortable that, first of all, they can get a really good job with this degree, that um, they feel more prepared you know, by taking the advice of our guest speakers and of their mentors. And so through all those different combinations of things, Con Future Pros, the mentorship program, that they really feel empowered to begin to realize their futures. Melissa also wrote a story a couple of years back for the North Texan about Lauren Taylor, a graduate student in UNT's Rehabilitation Studies program, who was crowned Miss Wheelchair Texas 2019. Lauren, who has muscular dystrophy, has spent her whole life breaking boundaries. As a second grader, she and her parents helped found a wheelchair hockey league at White Rock Lake, where she learned to play the fiercely competitive sport against adults. As Miss Wheelchair Texas, she championed the concept of universal design, even working with classroom support services at UNT to design and install accessible desks for students with disabilities in fixed seating classrooms. And Lauren also works with a Dallas-based nonprofit to be like me, which uses interactive experiences to build awareness and compassion in children when it comes to differences and disabilities. She has one of the most wonderful attitudes that I ever have seen. I am 23, almost 24. Um, I share a birthday with Voldemort, December 31st. I'm in the rehab counseling um, grad school program. So ultimately my goal is to get my LPC, which is licensed professional counselor license, um, and my CRC, which is certified rehab counselor, um, title so that I can be a like talk therapist counselor for people with disabilities. She has used her platform whenever she was Ms. Wheelchair Texas to teach people. So the founder of To Be Like Me, her name is Hollis Owens. Um, she's known me again since I was little, little, little. She had been doing this program where she would travel to different schools um, with just like all kinds of equipment in her car um, and would do like an hour long session um, with different classes on teaching them about different disabilities. She just felt it was so limited. You know, it'd be like the kids get taken out of their class like right after lunch or something, go learn this thing that's totally new to them for maybe 30 minutes to an hour and then go back to regular class. So it wasn't really making the impact that she had hoped. And so she created this baby to be like me. Um, and I just, I remember when she came to me before it even was, you know, it, before it came to fruition and she was just telling me about this idea um, that was to be like me. And um, just being a part of it from that stage to now where we have a facility um, with different rooms that are set up to teach about the different types of disabilities and have hands-on experiences um, where the classes come to us. They have a website that uh, harnesses resources uh, from people of the community who possess different abilities or differently abled, and so they use those folks 
um, on this website platform to reach out to others so that they can educate them on maybe how to interact with someone who's autistic or someone who is hard of hearing and, you know, just the most minimum of uh, sign language using ASL can really be helpful to them. We have leaders with mobility differences like me um, who use wheelchairs. We have people with vision differences. We have people with, um, you know, autism. We have individuals with sensory processing um, differences, just every spectrum pretty much that covers all the bases. Um, and we have different experiences that the kids rotate through. So just for an example, we have something called Fly Kind Airlines, and it's an airline experience where the kids go in, it looks and feels just like an airplane when you're boarding. Um, we've got a baby crying in the background. We've got fans blowing air on you. We've got a noisemaker. Um, we've got a leader at the front talking in a like altered microphone to sound like the pilot talking over the intercom. And when they're coming in, um, they get a piece of sandpaper stuck in the back of their shirt. And they're given this task to do. Someone's rushing them along, take your seats, put on your seat belts. This is the gate you're gonna be going to. And all of these things are happening at once. When they're done, you know, you turn off all the sound, you turn off the fans. Everyone just takes a deep breath. Um, and then we have leaders with sensory processing differences go up there and, and talk to them about what that what was that experience like for you? Was it overwhelming? Was did you get to the right gate that you were supposed to get to? Um, and you know, the kids really respond to that because it's so hands-on, it's so tactile. They really learn what it's like to be a person on an airplane with a sensory processing difference. And they also learn about ways to help with that, like weighted blankets. They learn, you know, what they can do to help if someone's going through that. Um, so that's just one of many different experiences we have. Like I said, her overall perspective on life is really great. At the end, they get to ask us questions. That's my favorite part because they're so smart and they have such great questions. And the most important part of it is that we're creating this safe space to have these conversations because kids, you know, are always taught, don't look, don't stare, don't ask questions. It's rude. Um, you know, stay away, but we don't want that. You know, we want to be understood. Um, we want people to have empathy for us and, you know, give us a little bit more compassion because we do have differences that take more time or understanding, but we don't want people to just turn a blind eye and pretend like we're not there either because we are here. We have a lot to offer um, and we just want people to make our lives a little bit more integrated and accepted into their own so we can all, you know, share this world together. You know, when, when you go back to the hero as a definition, it really can mean so many different things because, you know, uh, is it shepherding somebody through their college experience to help them gain connections so that they can start a career that they hopefully will love? Or is it helping to promote understanding through engagement with people who are differently abled and those individuals sharing their experiences on how to better interact with them? You know, I think it's a lot of, it could be a lot of different things.
Jill King is a senior communications specialist and expert editor who is our go-to source for UNT history. She's read lots of stories about our incredible campus community over the years, and in that time, has developed her own definition of hero. I think, you know, you think of heroes as people who run back into burning buildings and, you know, save them, save their friends or, their, or strangers. But I think, for me, heroes can be people who face difficult circumstances, you know, maybe unfair circumstances, and they, they just find a way to overcome them, um, not necessarily escape them, because sometimes that's not possible, but they don't let those circumstances defeat them. Jill also is an avid supporter of the Mean Green, a football season ticket holder who attends nearly every game, rain or shine. It just so happens that when she thinks hero, she thinks of another, even more enthusiastic, Mean Green superfan. The UNT hero who comes to my mind is Stephen Pettit. Stephen Pettit is a kinesiology alum who at age 39 was diagnosed with stage 4 esophageal cancer and given only 12 months to live. Nearly four years later, he's still fighting the good fight, and the UNT community and the Mean Green football team in particular, have rallied behind him. Stephen shared his story in the fall 2019 issue of the North Texan Magazine and on a November 2018 segment of Beyond the Green, where the football team surprised him on his 41st birthday. Well, first, he's a seriously devoted Mean Green fan. So, you know, <laughs> that makes us like him from the start. You know, it is amazing to me what Mean Green athletics have have meant to me before any of this happened. Um, you know, I've said before that you know, your team is like your kids. You don't love them because they're good. You love them because they're yours. And, and the Mean Green are definitely mine. Whenever I look on my wall, the diploma that I see says University of North Texas, and I am proud of that. But then he's faced this really grim diagnosis. So it started out where I just couldn't swallow. Everything would get stuck right about before the, the stomach and I would have to walk around, drink a lot of water, and eventually it would kind of go down into my stomach and that got worse and worse after a while. It just started getting painful. Well at the age that I was I didn't think it was really anything that serious so I went to the doctor and he kind of agreed this is probably nothing very serious. But just in case because I was kind of so concerned about it he said let's do a swallowing test. So we did the swallowing test and it wasn't before I got out of the parking lot that I got a phone call saying, we need you to come in for an endoscopy. So they wanted to put a camera down me and see what was there. They put me under for this. And whenever they did that, I woke up to the doctor telling my wife that I almost certainly had esophageal cancer. And we didn't know what that meant. Is it, you know, where on the spectrum of cancer is this? Well, and we learned that it's actually very bad. It's right in there with pancreatic cancer, which everybody seems to know is kind of a, a poor um, diagnosis. So we learned that, but we didn't know what stage it was. So we did a PET scan, and it turned out it was stage four. It had actually left the site. At that point, my oncologist told me, you have about 12 months left to live. So with that, it became kind of scary because uh, my wife was pregnant, and I had a two-year-old at the time, and that obviously just shook us to the core. We did not know what to think, and frankly, we uh, just merely looked to God for guidance past this. Well, the oncologist told me, you need to pray, you need to do this treatment, we go with you, and let's go forward and just see how that happens. We asked, would I for sure be there to see the birth of my unborn son? 
And he said, I can't, I can't say that's for sure. Treatment, surgeries, remission, but then recurrence. So we were shed many tears over this. We were very, very just sad. Um, but I did you know, exactly what he said. I definitely prayed. I definitely did the treatment. And overall, the treatment was awful. Uh, the treatment had, I had to do radiation. I had to do a chemotherapy. And it was awful. Finally, one night, the oncologist called and said, I've never called anybody on a Friday night before, but your cancer, I, I just don't see it. It's not there in that spot anymore. And I, I mean, we're obviously floored. We, we didn't know what to think about, you know, just such a miracle. Well, I did get remission eventually and um, just trying to try to live life and kind of enjoy everything that I could. Um, but then, unfortunately, in August of 2018, uh, the cancer came back and uh, we did the chemo again. And unfortunately, the chemo wasn't working just very well. So we had to end up cutting out a piece of my stomach. And he has just, you know, faced it down with positivity and he's focused on really making the very best memories he can with his two old boys. Tried to make videos for my sons of telling them, this is how you shave, this is how you, you know, go on a date, this is how you do all these things that I feel like my son should hear from me. I thought it would be really neat to have one for their 16th birthday or for their 18th birthday or maybe for first car or first uh, day they go off to college, just some monumental life events that I wanted them to hear from me. I think it's the way everyone would like to think they would handle that situation, but you know, he's really an example of somebody who is doing it well. Um, and also that kind of spirit is contagious. Like, you know, if Stephen Pettit can face all this that he's facing so graciously, then, you know, surely I can get through this Monday, that kind of thing. I'm, I am positive he does not think of himself as a hero, but, you know, he's a hero to his family and his UNT family also. Um, how, many, how many years have you worked at UNT now, Jill? Almost, um, I just hit 29 years in September. So I know you've edited a lot of stories about the UNT community in that time. And I'm wondering if there are other people who also spring to mind as heroes. Yes, <laughs> many, many people <laughs> through the years. Um, in World War II, we had a, um, an alum, her name was Reba Whittle, and she served in the Army Nurse Corps and was flying as a flight nurse. She went on like 40 air evac missions and then her plane was shot down over Germany and she became the only female American military POW in Europe. And her story wasn't even known. Now she's called the forgotten POW. Um, it was much later that that news got out. There was an Air Force colonel in the Vietnam War. His name's James Lewis. His plane went down over Laos in 1965. And then it was 2005 when his remains were identified and returned to his family. So I always think about his sacrifice, but also 
you know, all his family went through for all those years. And then we also have a, quite a story with um, Frank Spencer, our alum who was just like a West Texas farm boy. And he came to UNT like dirt poor. And then he went to medical, medical school at 17. And when he got to Korea, he was 26, uh, a surgeon, and realized that a lot of the wounded were losing their limbs because um, of the way that the military was still doing things the way they had back in World War II. And so Frank um, didn't really get permission, but went ahead and decided he was gonna do something about that. And so he knew this arterial repair surgery and put it in practice and had like an 80 to 90% success rate. Instead of getting court-martialed like he thought was gonna happen, he actually was awarded the Legion of Merit for all of that work. But he also told us that that work he had done in Korea was, you know, it, it benefited more people than anything he did the rest of his career. And he had a very long, distinguished career. He also um, pioneered coronary bypass surgery, just quite a legacy as a hero. I've only worked at UNT for about one-tenth of the time that Jill has, I've already been lucky enough to talk with a number of students, staff, faculty, and alums who I can easily call heroes. There are several who spring to mind. Lillian Prado-Carrillo, the president of Denton County LULAC, who is committed to ensuring everyone receives a fair shake. Given Kachepa, who was trafficked as a child by the Whitesboro-based TTT Partners in Education, now a Dallas-based dentist, he works to bring attention to the prevalence of human trafficking in the U.S. and is building much-needed dental clinics in Kalingalinga, his hometown in Zambia. There's clinical associate professor and director of social work field education Brenda Sweeten and alums Jackie Davis and Crystal Hamilton, who back in 2012 launched PUSH, a campus organization that aims to identify, recruit, engage, support, retain, and graduate UNT students who have experienced foster care or homelessness. There's also Kia Davis, an alum who drew on her own experience with domestic abuse to create the nonprofit Heals on the Move to Heal, which supports victims of sexual abuse and domestic violence. Another who I can't help but think also belongs on that list of military heroes Jill just detailed is Lehigh Tallestrup, who received a bachelor's degree in information science before joining the Rehabilitation Counseling Graduate Program with a minor in addictions. Lehigh joined the Army right out of high school, inspired to serve following the events of September 11th, 2001. I was a junior in high school. Um, and I just didn't know what I want to do with my life. And I was, you know, I wouldn't say distraught, but it was, it was my generation's uh, Pearl Harbor. 
And I remember watching my senior year photo class, watching the fall of Baghdad. And I said, you know, I want to do something like that. During his service, Lehi was deployed twice to Iraq and once to Afghanistan. But he often found life on the home front wasn't much easier. His relationship was falling apart. He had suffered injuries and the loss of his father and fellow soldiers. And so he turned to prescription drugs and alcohol to treat his PTSD. And all this, the mental health um, issues that I hadn't really sought help for because I thought it was weakness. I just was using alcohol and other substances to, to suppress my feelings. And it just came to a head where I just had to um, uh, attack it. Um, basically, um, it just came to a head October 15th of, of 2015 is where um, I just had had enough and it's where I had, I had attempted suicide. You know, I knew I didn't succeed when I woke up, I wanna say two days later, um, and I just was just so down. I just had nowhere to, I, I just didn't, I had no answers. And I remember just, you know, kind of just staring out the window of the, uh, they moved me from the emergency room um, to the uh, psychiatric ward in, in Hawaii. And um, I remember just looking out the window and just always crying. And I hadn't cried in, since my dad had died. Um, so over 10 years and just crying. And I remember I have a journal where I was writing a lot of things down, just everything that's come to my mind. And it's just, I just was, it was a confusing time for me. It was really just dark is all I could say. I just, it's like I was going through a tunnel and I just couldn't see the light. I think what has stuck with me most about Lehi is the openness with which he talks about those struggles. When he says it's time to destigmatize mental illness, he walks the walk. Now, as a counseling student, he's focused on helping active duty military and veterans confront their own demons and come out stronger on the other side. Looking back, it's just, I, I wouldn't say how, how dumb I was, but I wish I would have had someone that understood. I wish I would have had someone there with me because I don't think um, I would have ever gone that place. But when you're in a culture where you're, you're, you're taught to be strong, to not be weak. It's how do you reach out? And, you know, I think that's um, why I want to do, I, I, why I want to go where I want to go, why I want to do what I want to do and be a rehabilitation counselor is I want to give back to the active duty troops and veterans. Because um, if you just have one person, just one person can, can stave off a decision you may not want to do but if that's the only decision you have, you're normally gonna take it. And so if you have option A and B, you're normally gonna choose the better option of the two. That's what a hero is to me. Someone who puts themselves out there physically or socially or emotionally, even when it's hard or scary to do so, because they know sharing that part of themselves could help someone else. You know, there's really only one way to close out a hero's episode this year. And that's to thank all of our medical professionals who have helped combat COVID-19 and its insidious side effects. My colleague, Jessica DeLeon, wrote a story for the summer 2020 issue of the North Texan highlighting these incredible selfless people. 
There are alums like Solimar Rivera Torres, who works as a life enrichment assistant at Willow Bend Assisted Living and Memory Care Facility in Denton, who initiated a pen pal program to open up the world to elderly residents who felt isolated due to social distancing. There's Trisha Wang, a Texas Academy of Mathematics and Science alum, who serves as the clinical chief of the UCLA Pulmonary Critical Care Division at the University of California in Los Angeles Health System. Wang told Jessica the experience has its ebbs and flows, from the high of saving patients' lives to the low of seeing a lack of social distancing. And then there are the thousands of other UNT alums out there working in hospitals, clinics, and nursing homes, risking their own lives to save others. Considering all they've done to keep us safe, it's only fitting that Spider-Man has a very 2020 piece of advice for how we can all be heroes right now. Be a hero and please wear a mask. Even if you're walking around, just like keep it on because you know, as, as much as everybody else wants, I want to get back on campus. I want to be able to like see more people and do more stuff and, you know, have that environment that's a little less stressful. Um, so yeah, and, and then we can only do that if everybody just complies, wears a mask, you know, socially distance, quarantines if they're not feeling well, all that stuff, and we can get back on track. But we need everybody's effort. Thank you for listening to UNT Pod. You can find links to stories about many of the heroes mentioned in this episode in our show notes. If you'd like to nominate a UNT hero of your own, please reach out to us at n-o-r-t-h-t-e-x-a-n at unt.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at UNT Social and on Instagram at UNT. Until next time, be safe. Have a wonderful holiday break and a very happy new year. Go Mean Green.